gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down I spent the night in sleeplessness rose at every sound half in hopeless sorrow half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away just before the sunrise I heard something at the wall the gate began to rattle a voice began to call I hurried to the window and looked down into the street expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers feet but there was no one there but Mary so I went down to let her in John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been she said they've moved him in the night and none of us knows where the stone's been rolled away and now his body isn't there we both ran toward the garden and then john ran on ahead we found the stone in the empty tomb just the way that mary'd said but the winding sheet they'd wrapped him in was just an empty shell how or where they'd taken him was more than I could tell Something strange had happened there But just what I did not know John believed a miracle But I just turned to go Circumstance and speculation Couldn't lift me very high Cause I'd seen them crucify him and Then I saw him die Inside the house again the guilt and anguish came everything I'd promised him just added to my shame cause when at last it came to choices I denied I knew his name even if he was alive it wouldn't be the same but suddenly filled with strange and sweet perfume light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room and Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide and I fell down on my knees and just clung to him and cried he raised me to my feet and as I looked into his eyes Love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release And every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace He's alive. He's 
experience I had uh, well there's a couple uh, but the first one was in the UK in the early 80s I sent you that uh, song the Sunday morning chainsaw massacre yeah I just listened to it again uh, about an hour ago tell you. yeah well see that's that's a true story oh. uh, there was a, a, a Baptist church in the little town of South Chard in uh, Somerset England and uh, a few few years before I visited the church the pastor got up on Sunday morning and everybody was expecting him to preach but he he pulled the chainsaw out from under the, the pew and cranked it up and it was you know one of those old churches where the the, the pulpit is uh, is attached to the wall and you know the pastor steps up on stairs and looks down and delivers the homily uh and he he cut the thing off the wall and cut it into pieces wow and said that does it from this moment on you're all ministers hmm. now he had prepared them with you know teaching and showing them how this works so uh i mean they weren't expecting him to do that but they knew what he meant by you're all ministers because there is not one person who's who's given charge over God's people anytime. Right. Except Jesus. That's I mean, that's it. Okay. So I got there about two or three years later, or four or five years later. But when I got there, they had implemented this. And for the first time ever, I was in a meeting that no one was in charge of there was no bulletin there was no program and the holy spirit actually ran it you could almost you, you, know, you can't see the spirit of course but you could almost see him move around the room by what happened there were maybe oh, oh 60 80 people there in several concentric circles uh and uh it was it was the most powerful thing I'd ever seen because if someone had something to say in the spirit, they spoke it. If they had some scripture that had been laid on their heart to bring out, they talked about it. People uh, who needed to be prayed for were prayed for and healed supernaturally, not by some, you know, super spiritual, <laughs> you will die kind of a thing, but, you know, just the, just, the real power worship was something i i i mean what happened there okay there was there was no pa no electronics the musicians all sat together in one area so they could keep time with each other you know and uh, music would start by anybody in in the room starting to sing a song that they felt like was being started by the spirit if it actually, if they got it right, and it was being started by the Holy Spirit, the uh, 
the the thing would just take off. The song would take off. Everybody would join, and it would go on for you didn't know how long until it yeah. was time 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 for it to be done. Uh, and the intensity of the presence of God there was something I'd never felt in in any meeting. Yeah, in your song, I like, um, and you said it's a true story. The pastor saying, "I'm not pastor. My name's Sid." Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so what we're talking about is, uh, I didn't even know there was a term for it really until recent times, but yet it's a message or the thought world Christian worldview that I've had, uh, most of my life. Uh, but the term is a churchy entity, right? And, um, yeah, that's, that's a good one. And yeah. religiosity, religiosity. But how would you define churchianity? Obviously, it comes from the word Christianity, but what's that mean? Well, to me, it it means, uh, oh, <laughs> can I describe one of my favorite cartoons first? It's yes. not the one behind you? No, no, that's, that's one. No, this is just one particular cartoon. All right. Uh, there's a... a a drawing of of Dracula and uh, either garlic or the cross or whatever you want, and Superman and kryptonite, uh -huh. you know, and evangelicals and church history. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They don't <laughs> a go. A lot to... of people. <laughs> no, they don't. A lot of people think the church history began with Martin Luther. Right. You know, and uh, we've got nearly we've got 2000 years of things solidifying and calcifying and being changed by the culture to the point where almost nothing we do in church has anything to do with Jesus that's churchianity yeah so to put it in these terms i would say i mean if you attend church and you're a christian you know that the church isn't building blocks and uh, it's the people, but it kind of becomes trite. But the reality is, I think, from my view, that church is what we're doing right now. Um, we're both part of a body of Christ. Don't forget to neglect coming together. Well, we're sitting, we're chatting about spiritual things. If you had a, bit, a little bit of a larger group, just don't forget to um, keep it word focused. Somebody share a, a message, a truth, uh, sing a hymn. And like the disciples, they were doing church. They'd go out at night and they would have a teaching and discuss it. And they would do a song or two and move on. That was church. Yeah. And, and help the poor along the way and um, <laughs> not neglect widows. And if you deny your family, you've denied the faith. All that, That's Christianity. That's the church. But we've, it's hard to undo that word because when we think church, we think buildings and cathedrals and are you going to church or we're judged if we haven't been to church. And that always makes me laugh. It's like, are you kidding me? I have family. They're all Christians. I Tonight I'm going with a couple guys that are Christian buddies and we're going to hang out and talk and um, out in a public secular square having church and showing God's yeah. life and people. Yeah. And that's where we're going to run into uh, people who may need us or need a word or somebody on the street that needs a meal. It's, it, it's not the check off of how many times you attend this 
building and and that's mm-hmm. churchianity right the yeah it sure is what truth is discovered yeah you can get it from meditating on the bible but meditate on the bible in your closet in the quiet in the quiet where there's nobody there but you and the spirit and listen that's you know that's where you make contact that's the important thing yeah i do agree with that let's talk about you don so uh way back in the day um you from what i understand uh you're the son of a evangelistic fundamentalist uh <laughs> professor seminary professor i don't know something like that yeah yeah uh, you- uh my dad was the head of the old testament department at one of the southern baptist seminaries okay and uh he was uh a translator on one of our modern uh bibles uh for the for the book of proverbs uh he was obviously a hebrew scholar uh and um so yeah i was baptized into religion when i was born yeah you know i i grew up steep so you could have been um a victim of churchianity so myself as uh growing up in the church here's what i've seen and i want to get back to your life and then how you got into music but um to me my view of how i've seen this churchianity thing where it's dangerous is like you mentioned, you're in religion. Well, there's the Christianity religion, and it's learning, it's being a part of the culture and the attendance of things. And I've had people move along with me from childhood to young adulthood that are living lifestyles, but probably, well, unless a miracle happens, never be in church again. They were in the Christian culture or religion, but never encountered Christ. Yeah. And are you familiar? Are Are you familiar with uh, uh, William James? You've probably heard his name. He's, uh, it rings a bell, but I, I don't. Okay. Think. He made the distinction between firsthand and secondhand religion. Mm, firsthand right. religion comes when you meet God. Secondhand comes from reading books and listening to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people my whole life say, boy, you're lucky to have grown up in a Christian household. And I understand where they're coming from because they've experienced Christ at a later date. And they're thinking, look at all the things I could have avoided or the time I wasted. But they don't see the danger of growing up in a Christian household because a lot of times, like, <laughs> yeah. like my family, my parents, you know, they grew up in denominations, but they really found Christ as young married people in the 70s, like through that whole kind of, uh, well, there's a movie out, Jesus Revolution, but kind of like that Jesus movement, charismatic movement. Um, But then the second hand, the kids grow up in the church and get pushed into Sunday school to start learning verses and learning church culture and never had that experience. Yeah. And they don't even know Christ. And that's the danger of pastor's kids. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, see, my my dad was not only a seminary professor; he was a pastor too. And I I rebelled. Yeah, I mean, because there was so much legalism at home and so little love. I'm, I mean, I was I was out shoplifting cigarettes and smoking when I was twelve years old. Wow, not Don Francisco. Oh yeah, 
And yeah, and then uh, let's see. Uh, well, I cut you off, so go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. You're the guest. Go ahead. Okay. I don't even know what uh, else I'm saying. About about the same time. Oh, let me give you a history. All right, just a yeah. short, compressed history. Uh, one Sunday when I was eight years old, my parents were out of town. That's important. I was in church with my aunt, and at the uh, Southern Baptist invitation to accept Jesus, I went down front, as you know, as the phrase is, mm -hmm. and I committed. I I didn't I didn't really know exactly why. All of a sudden, I just I was out in the aisle and I was walking down front, and I did it. And I was eight years old. And I don't have a clear memory of it other than that. Uh, but four years later, my I was my my dad would take us with him. He went to other churches to preach, and I, we were in the second pew, you know, which is where the guest speaker's family always was on exhibit, so to speak. And uh, when his sermon that day was, "If Jesus isn't Lord of all." He isn't Lord at all. Yeah. Now, looking back on it now, that's a hugely guilt-producing type of message. But as this little kid, this is this is this is my dad, almost God himself, you know. And I'm listening to it and taking it to heart, and and thinking, well, Jesus, I haven't made you Lord of all. I I can't do it. I can't do that. How does anybody? How does anybody make you Lord of all? And I was just in just a misery inside, and all of a sudden I got hit, and I don't know how to describe it, other than just this roaring, rushing power just came through me. This was while everybody else was singing "Just as I Am." Yeah, yeah. And I'm standing there and just holding on to the pew in front of me for for dear life not knowing what in the world's going on here and just this <laughs> stuff is and finally it 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 started fading and i kind of looked around i was i was thinking everybody at the church is probably staring at me but nobody noticed i mean this was all all my thing and after it was over it was just over, and then on the way home, I tried to describe it to my dad when we were in the car, and he said, oh, God's just dealing with you, son. And what he was saying was, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> you had your own personal <laughs> Pentecost. <clears throat> I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's a real thing, and... um I mentioned pastors and pastors' kids. Sometimes pastors were pastors' kids who never knew Christ, and it becomes a generational thing. And you can tell and sense when someone is actually. It makes me laugh, or it's sad when people say, "Oh, they're born again Christians." That's the only kind. Jesus says you have to be born again. The other ones are just living in a stale religion. They're fooled. And um, when I hear your music. I was just listening this morning to uh, the Steeple song. And, you know, it's kind of humorous. It's 100% true. But when I hear your music, I can sense the spirit in you. I can tell. There's a camaraderie. Like, uh, 
I just know you're a born again Christian and you've had that Holy Spirit enter you like that, whether it's like that or however it happens for people. Um, when you've had yeah, I don't, it, it, it and other people differently to different people, it does. Yeah. And uh, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I can guarantee, but it was very formal in the early days, like very, uh, a lot of legalism in it, um, how you dressed, how you acted. And I, I never saw anybody get filled with the spirit all the years I was growing up. It was just in the doctrine. <laughs> it was just doctrine. And I've I got, got, I've, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let me just finish. When I was like getting to be, a, I was always a, a layman Bible student for myself. And when I got to be around 20 growing up in that, I thought, is this real or not? Because it's in doctrine. I see it in scripture, but I, this, it's not my experience around me, except personal people I know outside the church. And I had to really, I spent, um, about a year and a half just going after that truth, um, of, of really a spirit immersion for ministry kind of situation. And, and I got the answer, you know, you seek and you find, but yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. You know, I hate that. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. This one, one, one little story comes out of the church of the Nazarene, uh, which is, there are not many of them out here. I don't, in fact, I haven't seen one around here, but, uh, they started off as a, a, a Pentecostal movement from what I understand. I don't okay. know a lot about them, but one thing I know is that they do teach that there is a baptism in the Holy spirit and they call it the second blessing. Okay. And uh, I heard this story that I don't know if it's true or not, but anyway, here it goes, that uh, a young man was in uh, 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 Church of the Naz uh, Bible College, and this old professor was up in front of the class, you know, talking, and this young man was just, you know, really kind of self-righteous and wanted to make sure everybody was in line. And he raised his hand and said, Professor, I just want to know, have you experienced the second blessing? And the guy thought for a minute and said, well, son, I'm up in the thousands. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. That, and that was one thing I, I started to learn at one time is like, okay, well, this, I understand this part's true, but it's just, it's not that cut and dry. It's like this particular denomination makes things, you know, it's like this step, it's like a step process as opposed to a development in a spiritual relationship. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, the church is just wonderfully capable of legalizing anything. Yeah. It's human you know? nature. It is. Yeah. It's human nature. We have to grab a truth and then um, control the <laughs> and put walls and lines around it and some rules and, and then it becomes this um, anti-freedom after you've experienced the freedom. You just lock it back up again. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, after this, I wish I could tell you, after this experience, I wish I could tell you that I suddenly started, you know, living this spiritual life. But I was a dumb kid, and I didn't. Uh, How old were you uh, then, Don? Twelve when this, no, when 12. this thing happened. Okay. Uh, at, at the... The same year, after six years of piano lessons, 
my piano teacher told my parents to give it up. I had no music in me and that she was tired of trying to hammer it in and that they were wasting their money and her time and everything. And so thank God that's when the piano lessons ended. Two years later, however, I uh, was truant from Sunday school, which I'd started doing at 14, kind of often, as often as I thought I could get away with it. Went down the alley, got into a blackjack game, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes, being tough, playing blackjack. And I won the entire pot. The last hand was just everything. And I won everything. Uh, $22.50. And that was enough back then to buy, to buy a new guitar. Ah. And I went to Sears and Roebuck and bought a Harmony arch top with strings that were so far off the neck you couldn't, I mean, it was just, <laughs> just a piece of crap, man. But it was a guitar. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think about it. But when I got it home, my parents wanted to know where I got the money for this. <laughs> I hadn't figured that one out. You know? so it is pretty I, funny to think Don Francisco got his first guitar by gambling money. But yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and one of the kids in in the game had stolen the money he was gambling with from the Sunday school offering. <laughs> anyway, uh, so. I, I I lied and said, oh, I found it in the gutter on Frankfurt Avenue. You know, my dad didn't buy that. He didn't buy it. And so, all right, now, son, you tell me the truth. So I said, okay, I won it in a poker game. I didn't tell him when I won it in a poker game. I wasn't about to tell him that because I'd be dead. So uh, the next Sunday, he did something that, just boggles the mind even my my brain back then couldn't make sense out of it and now i know how far away from the gospel he really must have been but he wrote a check out for 22 dollars and 50 cents and had me put it in the church offering in other words we were paying god off from my sin <laughs> yeah interesting <laughs> just just so bizarre so bizarre yeah that was that was the first uh that was the my musical beginning a friend of mine who'd learned how to play guitar from his mother showed me the first few chords i practiced till my fingers bled man i loved that thing. you must played have it, played it has laid it you play how i wish i could and after like only like four or five weeks there was a talent show in the eighth grade and this guy who uh, taught me the chords and i it just happened since we had been raised in church and had sung in the choir ever since we were just little bitty kids when our when we sang together we sounded exactly like the ever brothers hmm. and we covered i think three of their songs in this eighth grade talent show wake up little susie but I think that that might have been one of them, but uh, or bye bye love. Oh yeah, it's a good one. Uh, uh, um, oh, any anyhow, but you know those <laughs> those songs. Right. And suddenly, I went from just this little skinny nerd 
to just the popular kid. Both of us did because this, the entire school was on their feet yelling and, and just because we nailed it. Yeah. We did it. It was, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Of course. It's classic. Uh, well, his his dance routine that he does on the on the school stage, that was that was us. Except we were doing Everly Brothers things because they were they were a big hit back then. Yeah, and so we were. That I just and all of a sudden I could get a date. Of course, you're a rock star now. Yeah, even though I had to have my parents drive me, I could still get a date. <laughs> nice. So that that changed everything and really cemented my trajectory uh four years later i entered a folk singing contest that was judged by the curator of folk of american folk music at the smithsonian institution john jacob niles and i won the contest and that gave me the confidence that i needed to say i'm going to follow my dream because ever since i got that first guitar i knew what i be i knew what i wanted to do and so i went on from there uh and of course i I sang you know broken hearted love songs uh you know uh we even covered a lot of uh rolling stones numbers and grateful dead and all kind you know all this all the stuff that was (laughs) james taylor was very formative she was acoustic guitar player and, and made it cool to use a capo. I thought that was wonderful. Uh-huh. I was Did you ever do any Neil Diamond? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to think of acoustic style. Yeah, that's a little poppy, I guess. But uh, I, I don't know. He, he just he just wasn't wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but then I had the, well, there were a, a lot of experiences that, well, several big ones. The next big one, after the twelve-year-old power thing, uh, was uh, when I uh, I I took acid for several years, you know, off and on. Uh, the first time I took it, I accidentally took something that was meant to be taken by four people. Wow! It was it was a uh, it was it was a, a rocket ship to the universe. But uh, later, what, what year? What kind of year are you talking about? Is this early seventies? Uh, this was yeah. This would be early seventies. Yeah, uh, I actually heard Timothy Leary speak in '68 eh. uh, when I was at the uh, University of Colorado. But anyway, um, I I was I I took some acid this particular day, and I won't go into details, but I had really bad experience i i went to see uh the lady i was living with while she was at work walked over to see her and i was you know really very very high and walked in there and caught her in flagrante delicto was her boss and and you know this is kind of a well i just closed the door and walked out it was just oh my god you know walked walked home and sat down and on the couch and thinking this my life is a mess this was horrible my my parents are messed up my family's messed up i'm messed up what am i going to do and god spoke to me 
<laughs> I mean, just he said, Don, I love you. My hand is on your life as it has been on your father's before you, his father's before him, his father's before him, his father's before him, and his father's before him. And he gave me this view back into history farther than anybody could see and showed me that it's okay. I'm in control here. And that was one of the really changing experiences of my life because <laughs> right after that, right after that moment, I put some, some albums on and I was listening to the music and suddenly I reel all of the pieces and processes of recording just fell apart into place. And I realized what had to happen from the inspiration of a song to the lyrical and musical creation of it, to its arrangement, to going into the studio and the production of it and everything out into getting it out. The whole thing just fell apart into its components and I knew how to follow my dream. And it, it was, well, mind-blowing, but it was also, thank you. Yeah. The next one, out, uh, the, the next experience, though, was about oh, six, seven years later. Uh, I was living in uh, the Atlanta area, the leader of a rock and roll band and playing in clubs and all of the, you know, stuff goes with playing in clubs that will give you the gory details and figure it out for yourselves probably well i already have a new title i was going to do this episode <clears throat> don francisco and churchy entity now it's don francisco on lsd i'm going to get a lot of hits yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> all sorry, right okay that's good but uh no it was uh it's it's an experience that uh is not to be taken lightly let me put it that way yeah but it certainly is life change. Uh, anyway, uh, I was in Atlanta, and at that time, I'd gotten into Eastern meditation. Uh, I was meditating conscientiously uh, twice a day. Back then, I could actually sit in the full lotus position. I could actually do that. I'm, I didn't keep up with it, so I'm too stiff to do that kind of stuff now. But uh, I was, I'd chosen the Lord's Prayer as my mantra, just to stay out of spiritual trouble, you know, because I knew that, that of course, all this meditation stuff is not really Christian. But so I was, I was sitting there and it was another audible voice time. You know, I think it helps a lot to be still and be quiet because it gives God an opportunity to speak. Yeah, he, he won't he won't do it every time, but many times he will. Anyway, I was sitting there, and this time, he said, "Don, this is Jesus. I love you. Why are you running from me?" And at the same time, he spoke the words. There was this just this total, not total, of course. It's always partial if you're human. This revelation of of who he is 
And I'd never had that before. I'd had power. I'd had all kinds of educational things. But this is kind of like when, when Paul says in uh, Galatians, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. That's that's what he did. And the I was so religiously blocked up, even with all my rebellion and everything, that a lot of what I heard in why are you running from me is you better stop running from me or you're going to pay, you right. know? And that's not what he meant at all. It's just, it was a rhetorical question. Why are you, why are you running from me? You don't need to run from me. I love you. Don't do that. Don't. And it, it was not, he didn't mention any of the sins I was into, so-called, you know, sins, drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever that, you know, it was obvious he didn't care about that. That was not the point. That was not the issue. It never was. It never had been. It never would be. But he wanted me to be just open to him. And that was, oh, oh, my. At that point, I was smoking uh, over two packs of Marlboros a day. I... That day, I just lost interest. Yeah. There was no withdrawal. I, did, I just, wait a minute, breathing is wonderful. Why am I screwing it up like this? Uh, I called, uh, uh, no, I didn't call, this friend of mine called me. He was trying to call somebody in my band, but God had other intentions. I picked up the phone, and this guy that I knew a little bit, had just met Jesus. Strange the way the timing was. You know, this the same day. You know, I pick up the phone in this guy, and uh, so I talk about what it's what's happened to me. He jumps in his car, drives down there that same day, and we wind up on the front porch. He says, "I got to tell you something. Not only have I found Jesus, but there's this thing called being filled with the Spirit." Do you want that? And I said, well, yeah, sure. At this point, I was thinking, I, I'll, okay, whatever, I want it. So I was sitting there on the front porch in the chair, and he stood behind me, put his hands on my shoulders, and was praying kind of under his breath. I didn't, couldn't tell what he was saying, but you probably know. Uh, and uh, then he just took his hands off me, and he said, I can't pray for you to receive this. You've already got it. Yeah. And I knew instantly that it was what had happened when I was 12. Yeah. Right. And that was it. But let me tell you how far off base I was back then. After this experience, after Jesus speaking to me, one of the first things I did the next day was I went to uh, um, a Goodwill store and bought myself a suit and tie so I could go to church. Hmm. I didn't have one. <laughs> That's when people used to wear suit and ties to church. Oh, yeah. But the big thing about that day was this was totally different from everything I'd ever heard in church. Right. Nobody I had known growing up in church. Well, you would get kicked out of church was, for that. Yeah, uh, was like this. And so I, I knew not only just everybody in general but people in church in particular needed to know that this is who he is 
not what we've created. Yeah. And, he's not a stained glass image for sure. No, and he's 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 not angry. Right, right. He's not judgy. None of those things. And we've created this this awful God who who had to, you know, murder his own son in order to forgive us. That's insane. It's something we've made the Bible say that it's not really there. Besides, well, I won't even get into that, but God, <clears throat> if you know Jesus at all, you know that he and the Father are one and that they're love. Period. No condemnation, no fear, no threats. That was that was my big revelation, and that's what got that's what gave me something to sing about. Right. Up until then, I was just you know singing about my broken heart and how I want to get get with you, baby, and you know and all this stuff. And, and uh, but suddenly, I had something worth worth singing about. I don't care how many buses you own or the size of your sanctuary It doesn't matter how steep your steeple is if it's sitting on a cemetery I don't care if you pave your parking lot or put pads upon your pews What good is a picture-perfect stage if you're missing all the cues? I don't care if your pastor is super-powered and your program's always new what you need is love and truth, and men are going to come to you. It doesn't matter that you know the Bible, if it's all just in your head. The thing I need to ask you is, have you done the things I said? Do you love your wife? For her and for your children, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers Do you make the poor man beg you for a bone? Do the widow and the orphan cry alone? I don't care if you pray for miracles care if you speak with tongues don't care if you've said you love me in every song you've sung it doesn't matter that your sacrifice of praise is loud enough to raise the dead the thing I need to ask you is have you done the things I said do you love your wife with all you've got inside you are you laying down your life what about the others as a servant to your sisters and your brothers do you make the poor man beg you for a bone do the widow the orphan cry alone Lord when were you a prisoner that we did not come to you when was it that we saw you sick that we didn't follow through Every time you turned your head and pretended not to see When you did it not to the least of these 
and you did it not to me. Oh.